While you're standing, would you please turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. And we want to look at verses 1 through 11. Exodus chapter 3. 1 through 11. You got it? Say, I got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Amen. Exodus chapter 3 and beginning with verse 1 reads as follows. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led a flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire, but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses. Moses, here am I, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard their and have heard them cry out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from the land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. So because the Israelites cry for help has come to me, I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Amen. You may be seated. That's what we talked about. God's no, God knows. This week we want to talk about God's time. There's a line in one of the movies that I like to watch, Lion King, where one of the phrases in there is, it is time. That's what God is saying now to Moses and to the nation of Israel. It is time. I believe it's in Philippians chapter 2, I think it is, where God speaks through his word, through the apostle Paul, and says, in the fullness of time, God sent down his son. When everything in the world was right, when that moment in time and space, God sent forth his only begotten son. And there's a lot of parallel if you really take the time to study it, not just read it, but study it. There's a lot of parallel between some similarities between Jesus and Moses. Amen. Moses is not God. But there's some parallel storylines that run parallel to each other that says there's a lot of similarities in how God calls Moses and how God uses Christ. So as you read through this or read through this, just keep in mind that all the scripture, every single thing from Genesis 1 all the way to the end of Revelation, the main theme is always going to be about God and really about Jesus Christ. He's the center of it all. Amen, Brother Randy. He is the center of it all. All right. Last week we talked about, and I just want to back up for a second, because uh, many times people say stuff, and you say, well, how do you know this? Well, 
We're going to get to answer a couple questions here. But in Genesis, uh, Exodus chapter 3, it says, Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. Remember him? The priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. We have the life of Moses, 40 years, 40, 40, 40. 40 years he was a Pharaoh, 40 years he is going to be with Jethro, with, uh, uh, Jethro and Jezreel, and now another 40 years he's going to be out in the wilderness. Somebody could ask the question, how do you know that? Well, number one, in Acts chapter 7, verse 23, we found out that, remember the account we talked about last week with Moses saw his fellow brethren being hurt? And Moses says, you know what? That's one of my fellow tribesmen, one of my fellow brothers, a fellow Hebrew. Well, then we find out that because what happened, he saw his own brethren fighting, and he says, hey, 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 why are you fighting? And they respond to Moses by saying, whoa, 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 time out. Who are you to tell us about fighting? We saw what you did. You killed that Egyptian. Will you kill us also? Well, in Acts chapter 7, verse 23, it says, when he was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. That's how we know that when they had that encounter, Moses was 40 years old. It was not a number just made up by arbitration or by circumstance. When he had been with Pharaoh, at 40 years, when he saw that event happen, he was 40 years old, which means after he saw that, he fled, he left Egypt, he was at the age of 40. Now, we get to this account in Exodus chapter 3, it's another 40 years that has passed. And I'm going to share with you how we know that was another 40 years in a moment. So here we are. Moses is doing what he was always led to do. Once he got down there, he rescued the daughters. They were tending their flocks. They were making sure they had water to drink. And because of what he did, the daughters, one of the daughters was married to Moses. Moses decides to stay there, and he stays there an additional 40 years. And in Exodus chapter 3, he was doing what he always does. He was there shepherding the flock. Why is it going to be important that Moses understands about what it means to be a shepherd? Because when he's there for 40 years, he's going to have an object lesson, 101, on how to deal with sheep. And you know what the Bible says about us. Who are we? We are a lot of times characterized to be just like sheep. I didn't make this up. This is a fact. Sheep are not the most intelligent animals on the face of the earth. You don't see sheep in circuses. They don't jump through hoops. They're not like the lions that can be tamed. Sheep have a mind of their own. They do what they, they want when they want. That's why they need a strong shepherd, because if he is not strong enough, they will wander off to the very means of danger at any point in time. It's like people who sometimes, like we, you see somebody, is burning, the house is on fire. Instead of getting out, they would run right into it. So they need a shepherd. Moses is learning that because for another additional 40 years, when he's leading the people of Israel out of Egypt, He's going to understand all that stuff he learned about sheep. It's going to be, it's going to be a lesson. Oh, I've been down this road before. What? I had sheep that did what they wanted to do. I had sheep that complained. God will make some promises to these people, and when they don't remember what God has said, they find themselves in trouble. If we read this account through Exodus, what, one of the lessons I think I've learned is that no matter what sometimes God does for us, we are prone to forget what God has done. And we're going to find out that even in this lesson, even here, when God says he is going to come down, he's going to deliver them, and God does deliver them, and he makes them a promise. I am going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, a prosperous land. 
the part of the verse says, a spacious land. No sooner than they eventually get out of Egypt and get out there, they start complaining. And the idea is, once they got what they've been crying and pleading and, and, and really the, the word in the Hebrew is screaming to God to deliver them. Once they get out, then all of a sudden they get out and then you know what they do? They're like pigs. They want to return back into the slop from which they were. Well, you know what, Moses, you brought us out here. It would have been better for us to go back to Egypt. At least in Egypt we had some semblance of food. We had meeks and melons. Okay? You brought us out here, and there's nothing to eat. They didn't know that. God's going to what? Provide. And what he's going to provide them is some meat and basically some bread. Now, you know how we are. My mother, she's a big one on this. Every meal must have bread. It, it, it's, not, it's not dinner unless there's some type of bread on the table. I tell her, well, you really can't come to my house and eat because many times we don't have bread on our table. For her, that's a capital offense. They get out. God provides them quail and manna. Manna was a type of bread. But as you read through this, you see how we are. Now, remember, Moses had actually killed a man. Murder. He is a murderer. It wasn't like, well, maybe he sort of kind of killed him, or he didn't really mean to kill him. It was an accident. God will forgive because it wasn't really. No, Moses, point blank, murdered a man on purpose. The man that he saw that was doing it was not treating one of his brethren right, and in his anger, which he might have considered righteous, but it wasn't righteous. There was nothing right about it. He murdered a man. And then he tried to cover it up by burying that same man in the sand. And guess what? You and I cannot cover up our sins. Whether somebody sees you do it or not, one thing is for sure, God always does. Go back to Genesis with the murder of Cain and Abel when God says, wait a minute, the blood of your brother is crying out to me. God, as I said last week, God knows. And now this week, it's God's time. So he's out there leading the flock, doing what he's always done, attending the sheep. No fame, no glory. People don't know who he is. I mean, he was in Pharaoh's house. Everybody knew who he was. He was a son of Pharaoh. Forty years later, now he's on the backside of the desert at a mountain place where nobody knows him, and the only company he has are some sheep. From here to there. He might have thought, do they know who I am? Nobody knows who I am anymore. You know how we like this. People, we, we, we say that. Do you know who I am? Do you know who, 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 what I've done? God doesn't care. He's going to teach Moses, listen, you thought that what you were going to do, and if you read Acts chapter 7, verse 25, when he did that, Moses really thought that the people would understand that when he sees that Egyptian, well, surely my brothers will know I am the deliverer. I'm, I'm the guy. You've been crying and pleading. I'm the man. I say, how do you know that? Acts 7.25 says he assumed his people would understand that God will give them deliverance through him. To him being Moses, not God. But they did not understand. Amen. He said, do they not? Wait a minute. They don't know who I am. I'm the deliverer. No, 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 no. Moses, just like you and I, we have many things that we have to learn. Number one. It wasn't that Moses, God was going to use Moses to help deliver the people, but Moses was not the deliverer. God is the deliverer. And he had a messed up mind. That's why it's so important that you come and come to Bible school and come to Wednesday night and come, so that you learn and know what the truth is. Moses 
I don't like the expression, it's, and it's really big in the world today. Everybody has to find their own truth. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You don't know what truth is unless you know God and God's word because God's word is truth. And this idea that you find the truth for yourself and you live that out is a lie from Satan. It's a deception. The only life you need to live is the truth of the power of the word of God. You do that and you will, as as was promised, you will prosper. Don't do that and you will not prosper. One of the things I learned when I was at Cedarville College was all truth is God's truth. It doesn't always have to be necessarily from here. But if it's true, it is God's truth. God gives scientists, God gives doctors, God gives various people the ability to be true in what they are doing. It's not of their own selves. It's because of God using them and allowing them the sense and the education and the wisdom and knowledge and understanding to be able to speak truth within that given science or whatever they're doing. But all truth is God's truth. And Moses thought, well, I'm handsome, I'm strong, I'm the ideal guy, I've been raised by Pharaoh, my brothers are acting up. Surely, when I go to, I, I'm, surely my people, my people! Every now and then, Al Roker, he stands out there, and they had those big throngs of people at the concerts they used to do on, at, on the Today Show. He would simply say, my people! And the people would just erupt and roar. Well, that's what Moses thought. My people! Surely you know I am the deliverer. Wrong. Not you, Moses. God. In Acts 7.25, he really thought they understood that they comprehended that he was delivered. He's on the backside of a, of a mountain in a wilderness, a place called Horeb. We would know it also as Mount Sinai. It's a, a, a valley of different mountains and, and peaks of which Horp is a mountain within that vast plain and valley called Mount Sinai. You know what happened in Mount Sinai, don't you? God gave to Moses the what? Ten commandments. The people gathered there on many occasions to worship and serve God. So th- the fact that God in his word says Moses finds himself on the backside of a desert in a place called Horeb, is important. You ought to underline that and highlight it because Horeb is an important part of the Israelite people. In fact, it was so important that they called it the mountain of God. Why? Because God's presence dwelt there. Amen. God's presence is supposed to dwell even in this place. Whenever you and I walk in, God's presence is here. Any other time, it's just a building, brick and mortar, carpet, pews, seats. But the moment a child, a saint of God walks in, it becomes the sanctuary of God. Amen? One of the things I, I, I really uh, shared with the pastor this past week, one of the things that uh, I really believe that COVID-19 has done for the church is that it's pushed the church out of its comfortability. And I know some of you disagree with me, and that is fine. You can disagree. But I know I'm right. We can no longer afford, churches can no longer afford to do church the old-time way. Them days are gone. We few little who come and huddle, and we pick up our songs, and we preach our messages just for our little core. Those days are gone. Because if we're going to reach this world for Jesus, which is the mission of the church, then guess what? We have to get out. Now, how do we get out in an age where you're not supposed to be getting out? Why do you think we're talking about a virtual game day? Why is it churches are now broadcasting and streaming their services? There are churches that have yet to come back together. How are they staying connected with one another? One means of that is by the ability to use media and all the streaming and all this texting and whatever, 
All those are means by which now people are forced to connect. And if a church is to grow, you got to hop on board because the newer people that are going to come in here are not going to be like you and I. I need a piece of paper, Pastor. I got to have it written down. That's nice. We try to provide you with written forms of communication. But those younger folks out there, they don't use paper and pen. They're here texting. They're here watching videos. They're here watching church services. They're here where their Bibles are. Amen? If you want to be successful, you got to figure out how to leverage all those means of communication. Otherwise, you'd be where we are. You die. That's just a simple fact. And the fact that COVID-19 has forced us, the church is now forced to get out into the public. And not only has come here, we now are forced to get out there. The whole message is that God uses the circumstances of life to force us to do what is not always comfortable. And he's going to do that to Moses. Moses was in a comfortable place. But what he did forced him to get out. And now from being in the house of Pharaoh to being on the backside of a desert with all that sand and dust and dirt and everything else out there and tending sheep, you know, it was smelly and stinky and all that. There he is. And in the midst of this, God took a circumstance. God says, I'm going to get Moses' attention. Has God ever tried to get your attention? Busy with your life. Running to the college, running to your job, running with your family, doing this, going to the store, just living your life. Has there ever been an experience where God really tried to arrest your attention? Happened to Moses. Say, how did it happen, Pastor? Well, there you go. He had an encounter with God. As he's on that mountain, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. The angel of the Lord, probably a theophany of Christ, of Jesus, of God. God shows up. And what does God do? God, the bush is on fire. Flames, fire, but it's not being burned up. How, 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 does, that, how does that happen? I, t- I challenge you, go home, take a piece of paper, take one of your lighters or matches or whatever you got, and set it on fire. What happens? It burns up. Now, if by chance you set it on fire and it doesn't burn up, then maybe you're having an encounter with God. <laughs> you're like, wait a minute. I just took my, my paper and I let it on fire, but it's not burnt. It, it, it's on fire. But it's not being consumed. That's the bush. It's burning up, but it's not, it's on fire, but it's not being burned up. And you know what? If you see something like that, you're going to ask the question, what in the world is going on? If you don't, if that happened to you, you'd be just like Moses. It says he sees a flame of fire within the bush. As he looked, he saw the bush was on fire, but not consumed. So Moses thought, he said to himself, uh, I must go over and check this out. I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. He was amazed. He's out there doing his job, taking care of the sheep, doing what he always does. He sees out of nowhere, in the corner of his eye, he sees a bush that is on fire, but it's not being consumed. And he says, I need to go check this out. This is remarkable. I've never seen anything like that. I guess you would think it was remarkable. I would. Maybe you would. Maybe you're used to things like that. But if I saw it, I'd be like, Moses, wait a minute. Guess what? We're all like that. Let there be an accident out on South South Street when you go home in a few moments. What do most people do when there's an accident? They slow down and they look to see what is going on. Natural curiosity. It's like, hey, wait a minute. Somebody's been in an accident. Ooh, that's bad. I see piece of glass and headlights and as I get closer and drive by, ooh, yeah, it is bad because the car's been slammed from the back or slammed from the rear or slammed from the side and we're slowly driving, trying to drive safely ourselves and look at the same time. It's a remarkable sight, Moses is saying to himself. Man, why isn't this thing being burned up? Would you not ask the same question? 
I see a bush. Why isn't it? Why isn't it being consumed? Maybe you won't. Maybe you don't care. I don't know. But he did. He says, "Why? What's going on?" Now, when he sees this, he's getting ready to go over. God says, "Wait a minute." God saw that he had gone over to look at the bush. God called out to him from the bush. From within the bush, the voice of God calls out and says, Moses, Moses. Somebody says, why twice? Get your attention. My mom was good at that. She could say, Byron, don't do that. But when she said, Byron Wilson, (laughs) then I do. Uh Uh-oh, she's trying to get my attention. Amen. God's got, God, he may not have had Moses' full attention, but he's got Moses' full attention right now. Moses, Moses. Moses says, here am I. I'm here, Lord. Don't come any closer. Stay where you're at. Why? Because the ground you're getting ready to step on is holy ground. It's holy, not because the ground is holy. It's holy because the presence of God is there. Whenever the presence of God's there, wherever he he manifests himself, that becomes holy. Guess what? You and I, when the presence of God manifests itself in our lives and hearts and minds, we become holy unto God. Moses, don't come any closer because the ground you're stepping on has become holy ground. I was down in Chillicothe years ago, years ago, and an old preacher down there was preaching. I'll never forget. And he was preaching this text. And in the midst of him saying, Moses, don't come any close. But the ground you're standing on is holy ground. He kicks off his shoes, and in his white tube socks, he's dancing and walking around the pulpit. I remember the white tube socks. Uh, Tube socks because I was like, he's got on white tube socks. But he's making a point that it was holy ground. Amen. This isn't just any ordinary place. It's holy ground. Why? Because God is there. Somebody asked me, asked me the question, Pastor, why would you say that if somebody, the president or whoever comes in, you wouldn't allow them to stand behind the pulpit? Because it's holy ground. It's been set aside for those men who have been called to declare and preach the word of God. It's, 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 it's a sanctified, holy piece of territory. Not everybody can just come back and stand because it has been set aside for the purpose of the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all Moses. And, and look at this. Moses was out there tending sheep. The ground that God is holy and righteous. And, and Moses is trying to get on that ground. But Moses forgot one thing. He was a dirty man. Physically, he's been walking across the dirt and sand and all that other stuff that was out there in the field. And even in his own life, he was dirty because he had sinned against God by murdering a man. He is getting ready to step on territory that is holy. Remove the sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And he says, now Moses, I want you to understand something. I am the God. Now, notice what he says here. I am the God of your father. Remember Moses, who Moses' real father was, was part of the tribe of Levi. He was a fellow Hebrew. Moses is a Hebrew. I'm the God of your father. But not only that, I am the God. Notice the definite article each time. I am the God of your father. I, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The hope. Amen? Three men who are considered the patriarchs. The pantheon, the greatest of all times. You know, we get that debate in sports. Who's the greatest? Well, here you go, right here. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And many put Moses. Many put Moses as the paradigm prophet of the old time. Moses is the man. He's it. By many scholars and people and nations. 
question of the nation of Israel. Moses is it. You can't get any closer to God than Abraham than, than Moses. Moses was there. He went up to the mountain. He talked with God. God talked to him. God gave to him by the divine finger the Ten Commandments. Moses come down off the mountain, and Moses had the Shekinah glory of God on him, so bright that they had to cover his, he covered his face. I had a guy that didn't want to cover his face when he was coming to our school, because he said he believed that covering your face hindered the ability to evangelize the world. And I said, no, 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 no. He's going to cover his face if he wants to come here. I'm sorry. I said, if Moses covers his face, guess what? We can cover our face. And he tried to use all kinds of scriptures, taking them out of context. I said, well, you want to take something out of context? Okay, you can take all that. But guess what? Moses covered his face because of the glory of God was upon him. Twice he had to do that because when he came down the first time, the people forgot why he went up there. And when he came back, they were partying and reveling. And he got so upset that he took the tablets and broke them, shattered them into a million different pieces. And God said, no, you know what? Come back again. I got to give them to you all over again. Don't do that. Don't, 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 no, 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 no. See, he's there. He's standing on this holy ground, and he says, I am the God. And that same God is our God. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid of God. One of the things you can learn from the Old Testament is this. Thanks be to God. To God be the glory that we really no longer have we ought to revere God for his holiness and who he is, but we don't have to be afraid of God so much so that we will not go to him in our hour of need. Remember the account of Mary and Joseph? The angel appears to them. I don't know what it, I don't know what it would be like to physically have God manifest himself in a way, either in my bedroom, in my study, in the church, or in my car, or wherever I might be, and that is the first. I don't know what I, I don't know how I would act about that. But you know what? Every time I pray, every time I get into the book of the Bible, the word of God, that is God's presence manifesting himself to me. Whenever I pick up this book, this is holy God talking to me. Whenever I pray, I'm praying to a holy God. I ain't talking to the man upstairs. I ain't talking to the big guy. I ain't talking to the dude. I ain't talking. No. It's God himself. He's our father. There's nothing wrong with calling him father. There's nothing wrong with calling him daddy. Daddy and father synonymous. Dad, daddy, I need you right now. It's, you're not demeaning God by calling him daddy. You're calling him father. Pater, father. Father, I need you. Father, we need you now in this country. Father, I need you now. I'm facing some issues in my life. I have some physical things that are going on, and I need you, Father, Daddy, I need you to manifest yourself in my life because I'm getting ready to have surgery, and I need you to tell me and give me the sense that it's going to be all right. I'm going to make it. Give me that confidence. Give me that assurance. hits his face. These next few verses to me speaks a lot. Why does it speak a lot? He says in verse 7, God, and we talked about it last week, the Lord says, the angel of the Lord, the Lord himself says, I have what? I have observed. I have seen the misery of my people. In Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their oppressions. I know about their sufferings, and I have, I'll stop right there for now. I have observed in the misery. Have you ever been in misery? A miserable condition? You know, we say that if we were outside and it's pouring down rain and they're getting soaked to the bone. Oh, this is miserable. 
maybe in a few weeks. Don't know what the Lord has in store for our weather. But if it's blustery, windy, snowy, cold, oh, man, the weather outside is miserable, frightful. But maybe there's a condition in your life. Maybe there's something going on with you and yours or somebody else that you know that is, for you, misery. You don't, know how to, you don't know how to handle it. These people were in misery. They had been oppressed. They were enslaved by the Egyptians. And the Bible says, God says, I heard their cry. That's good news. It's good to know that God heard and God hears the cry of his people. The same God that heard that cry is the same God that hears our cry at the midnight hour. When you don't know who else to call on. I believe many of us, many of you, are prayer warriors. Some more so than others. Of all of, of, of one person I know that believes in God and calls on Jesus is my mother. She's a saint. Not because she's so holy that she, nothing she does is ever wrong. She's a saint because she believes in Jesus Christ. And her whole life, her whole faith, ever since I've been a child, everything, everything I know about her and everything I've seen from her tells me she is a saint of God. She believes in God. She No matter what, I hear her praying. I hear her calling on Jesus. Every time I'm with her on, on Mondays and Tuesdays when I'm there, she says, how you feel, Mom? I feel good. God has blessed me. Um, blessed me one more day. I got up. How you feel, Mom? God is good. Every now and then she bursts out in song. <laughs> oh, man, how, 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 how do you get to that faith when, 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 when everything may not be where you want it, but you still say you, you, you're, you're getting up going, it's all right, I'm good. For many of us, our condition dictates our happiness and our joy. If everything's right, I'm happy. If everything, is there some things that aren't right? Man, I, I'm, not, I'm not in a good spirit. No, you ought to be in a good spirit all the time because God is the same always. You go to bed with aches and pains, you wake up with aches and pains, but you got up. You go to bed with aches and pains and you get up with aches and pains, but God still has food on your table. You go to bed with aches and pains, you wake up with aches and pains, and God provides for you, and God watches over you as you drive your car. God watches over you as you sleep at night. God blesses you with friends and neighbors. God, 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 God. God is good! My brother would say he's not just good, he's great. Amen. It's all about your mindset. You can wallow in your sorrows. You can wallow in your pain. You can believe that because of whatever it is you might be going through, it's the end of the world to you. But if you have the right mind, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Get out of the mind of Christ. How could I write an article and tell people, why are we acting the way we do when we're supposed to be believers in Jesus Christ? How is it my friends and my neighbors and my fellow countrymen honestly and truly believe that the end of the world is here? Why? Because their man did not win the presidency. And the guy that won, they genuinely, albeit wrong, I believe, they genuinely believe the end is here. We're going to have abortions on the streets. We're going to have people changing their sexes just coming down the street, just what? Total chaos. I say, in what world do you think that's right? Do you not know that God is in control? Do you not know that I don't care if you respect him, you got to respect him, or if you like him or not, Donald Trump and anybody, Biden, Obama, Bush, all of them can do no more than what God will allow to happen. And why am I going to put my faith and my trust and a flesh and blood man like me. Oh, I pray Biden is able to do some stuff, but I'm not trusted in that. The world is messed up. My faith and trust is going to be in Christ and him alone. And I'm going to pray. 
former president-elect Biden, that God will be able to use him to do some good things. But I ain't buying, I ain't, no, 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 no. Because there's too many other, and I'll say it, idiots in the world. The mind's not right. You need to pray not just for him, you need to pray for those in Congress, those on the Supreme Court, those in our state house, those in our local, all of these people. They all affect how we live. It ain't going to be just on Biden. It's going to be with everybody. We need to pray. The Bible says pray for those who are over, who rule over you. Pray for all the, pray for your pastors and people that, that pray for them all because they need the wisdom of God. Moses, God says, he heard your cry. Do you not think God has heard the cry of our people, even here in the United States? Oh, yeah. I told somebody this the other day, this nation and all nations and all people, even we ourselves will be judged how we handle ourselves with those who are less fortunate than we are. They asked Jesus, uh, when do we see you hungry? When do we see you naked? When do we see you without? You know what Jesus' reply was? When you saw, oh, the least of these, my brothers. Those people that we walk over, we walk by, we don't pay much attention to. The people that walk up and down our streets right now that are homeless have nowhere to live. Those people that we classify, well, he's, got, he's homeless. How do you know that? He's got a backpack. He's on a bicycle. He's carrying bags. He's homeless. That's what we say. And guess what? Most of us, if not all of us, are a paycheck away from being homeless ourselves. Then what? Oh, wouldn't it be ironic if God put us in that place? Wait a minute. The very people, that's what I said, the very people we talk about, we have now become the institutions of, of what was right and wrong. Questioning the election, questioning the Constitution, questioning everything that for 250, 60 years, however old we are, we've always said was a standard rule of law. We're now debating whether it's right. We're fighting the issue. And guess what? What we don't realize is, you wonder why the church is not as powerful as it should be? You want to know why people don't come into the house of God? Because we have no power. Guess what? You, I, question the very laws and order of the word of God. That's us in the inside, let alone those on the outside, because those on the outside are looking at those on the inside. Why are you, why, who, who are you? Pastor? Preacher? Reverend? Who are you to tell me what to do? You're a man just like me. This book is just nothing but ink and paper. What, why, why, why would I believe what's in that's You may not think that, but that's what the world actually thinks. They think you're nuts. You're crazy. You're a fool for believing that this book contains the very words of God. You're an idiot. You're stupid. You're naive. You're not woke yet to the things of this world because you come to a place to hear about a God that the majority of people in our world do not believe in. You're not out. You, you need to get out of your little four walls and strike up conversations with people. The, the fact that when you watch your news and the way people are living and doing, that ought to be enough for you to know that we are in the last days. Men's are lovers of themselves. Men's are debating what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is wrong. We're in that day. But isn't it good to know that in verse 8 he says, I have come down. He sits high, but he looks low. He says, I have come down to rescue. <laughs> oh, man, you ought to highlight that right there. You ought to mark it, circle it, and put it as boldly as you can. I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians into a spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of all those ites, Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hevites, Jebusites. I have come down. God Left 
glory to come down to tell Moses, I've heard it. They've been crying for a long time. I hear, I've heard their cries, their screams. I've seen their misery. That misery, that pain that they had, what is the misery and pain that you're in? To the point that God hears it, and now God is going to come down and to rescue or to deliver you from what you're going through. I don't need to know what it is. God knows. Has he ever done that for you? Has God actually come down to rescue you, to deliver you from your pain? To allow you to know he's going to take you to a certain destination. He says, I'm going to rescue them from their misery, and I'm going to take them to a certain destination. What is that destination? A land. <laughs> a land flow with milk and honey. Milk and honey. Plenty of land, green, fertile land. Grass looks beautiful. The cows and the goats would have enough grass to eat to produce enough milk that it's going to be nourishing. There are bees in that land that will be making good old tasty honey. The land that God's taken them to is a land that they've been fighting over for a long time. It's called, it's very fertile. And, and catch this, God's taken them out of slavery in Egypt to a place with all these ites. And all those ites were not godly people. So he's taken them from a, a place that's not great to another place that isn't great at all. But he tells them that the thing that's going to help you out is I'm on your side. God calls us out of the world. We're still in the world, but we're not to be of the world. What makes you different from your neighbors? What makes you different from your relatives and your family? What mark do you have that when people see you, they can say, you know, uh, he, she, there's something different about them. They're not shook by all this stuff. They're holding their position. Until it's safe to climb. Amen. He says, I'm taking you out of this. Out of the I'm going to place you into the territory of all these ites. So because the Israelites cry for hell has come to me, I have also seen the way of the Egyptians oppressing them. Therefore, Moses, go. Pastor, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. What are you going to do? What are you going to do about what? What are you going to do to cause people to come back into the church? No. Better question. What are you doing? God confronted Moses. Then he says, Moses, therefore go. I've heard their cry. I've seen, in other words, okay. I've heard it. I've seen it. I know it. Therefore, go. Who? You. Who? Me? Yes, you. Therefore, go. I am sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh, so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Another great man, prophet of God, Isaiah, said, here am I, Lord, what? Send me. We're good at making other people go. Instead of we ourselves going. Many of us have children. Back in the day when they were younger, we had to turn our TV sets physically. They might be sitting down. They might be in the back of the house. Hey, Byron, come here. What do you need? Yes, ma'am. Uh, turn the TV for me. Hey, go get me a glass of water. Not that you couldn't get up and get it. Some of us said, that's what I got kids for, to do that for me. God says to Moses, they cry, they want to deliver, I've heard it. Guess what? You're part of the solution. Therefore, Moses, go. Go and deliver my people. Therefore, I am what? Sending you. 
Don't ask that question. Don't answer too quick. Send me, Lord. Whoa, whoa, be slow, be slow. Be prayerful. Be mindful. Because he may send you to a place that you may not want to go. But the, the good news is this. Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? You, excuse me, time out. You want me to go? Who am I? Who am I, Lord, that I should go? I'm a nobody. I'm on the backside of a desert tending sheep. Yeah, I know that. I'm using that to teach you how to handle what I'm getting ready, the assignment I'm getting ready to give you. There comes a point in time when we have to recognize that for some, the ministry might be big, huge, thousands, tens of thousands of people thronging to come to hear them preach coming to their churches, all kinds. I had, I had to overcome that. I, I, I could drive myself nuts when I look at some other places. It's not about the numbers. It's about the hearts of the people. God could take 25, God could take 50 people and do a whole lot. Come here, Nehemiah. The people had a what? A mind to work. It's not about numbers. Oh, numbers are good. Oh, would I like to see more people coming? Sure. Who wouldn't? But will it really thrill our hearts and my heart was to see those of us who are here really doing work? It's not about one or two or three. It's about all of us. God's going to take Moses. Moses, you're my man. And he could ask the same question. God may be asking you that same question today. Who, me? Yes, you. Why not you? He had to change Moses' heart and change Moses' mind. And he did it on the backside of a place that nobody even knew where he was at. God may be using you on the backside of a place called Wilmington to prepare you for a place much bigger. And you can even imagine or think. But the main thing is you got to be faithful right where you're at. Why would God give you, give you and I more when we're not even faithful for what we already got? doesn't make sense. Somebody says, let me think about that. Yeah, think about that. God knows God's time. It is time, cornerstone, for us to be part of the solution to what God wants done in this community of Wilmington. But that means we have to get our feet dirty, wipe the sweat off our brow. Amen. Father, thank you for your word.